Hi everyone, you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. Like and subscribe and comment down below. Thank you for listening. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, this is Christina, your host of Latinas with Masters podcast, and welcome to season two, episode two of the Latinas with Master podcast. And I would like to call this series uh, What's Up with the Latinos with Masters vibe, because ever since I launched Latinas with Masters last year, I had a lot of the guys hit me up and say, what's up with the Latinos? We have Masters too. Let's show us some love. And thankfully, I had the a uh, great opportunity to meet a lot of Latinos um, as well through Instagram, such as Benjamin and Fabio, who we have today. Um, so without further ado, I would like to uh, welcome my second guest for season two. Um, his name is Fabio Peña, and he is the co-founder of Peña Consulting, uh, which is a management consulting firm that provides services to the first generation community. Um, and he's also a second year MBA graduate student at Seattle University. So without further ado, I wanna welcome my homeboy, mi hermano, my Latino with masters or future Latino with masters, uh, Fabio Peña. Yo, yo, what is up? <laughs> yeah, hopefully one day I get my masters. I always had a, you know, a hesitation because my undergrad was so hard and almost traumatizing, but I know one day I'll get it. So yeah, I like it. I, I love the vibes. Not one day. You will get it. I will get hey. it. You have to like speak into existence. Yes. <laughs> Affirmations. Affirmations <laughs> all day. So um, I know I know about you, but I definitely would love to learn um, a, a little bit more as well as our Latinas with Masters community. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you grew up, where you grew up? Yeah, so I was uh, I was born in Mexico, Guadalajara, Jalisco, and uh, I actually ended up moving to the United States when I was two years old. My family settled in uh, central Washington state uh, in a small town called Moxie. Uh, it's mainly rural, uh, agricultural. So I come from like a migrant working family. My parents worked like in the in the uh, in the hops. And um, I actually had a taste of that working experience my, in my high school career, working in the cherries, um, which kind of is like the foundation of, uh, you know, my career and my educational journey. Uh, but yeah, before I get into that, I'm uh, the middle sibling of two brothers, uh, one older and one younger. Um, it was all boys in the house. So um, I guess you could say I was raised in a traditional Mexican household, you know, it definitely shaped who I am, my values and my beliefs. And um, yeah, it's definitely influenced how I was raised and how I uh, navigated school. So, yeah. Well, let me tell you that I'm sure we pretty, uh, both of us have uh, middle child syndrome because I'm also the middle child. I have an older brother, but I act like the oldest because he's a hot mess. And then, um, and then I have my younger sister. And so anytime I see someone or hear someone say that they're the middle child, I'm like, oh my God, you get me. <laughs> There's like a lot of things that we could definitely talk about in a whole podcast, but um, welcome middle child. We out here, this is our platform to share. <laughs> yes, finally someone I can relate to, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so tell me, what is your earliest memory of wanting to go to college? I know you said that you were born in Jalisco, um, you came here when, when you were two years old and um, you've experienced working in the agri agriculture field, right? In, in 
in the cherries field. So tell me, what is your earliest memory of wanting to go to college? What did that look like for little Fabio? Yeah, I think for me, it was probably at the start of my high school career, uh, freshman year. I can't recall if I started working like the end of my freshman year in the trades or my sophomore year. It must have been my freshman year, but, you know, working those like really early days, you know, um, like out in, inside the, the warehouse or even out in the fields, I knew that that was something I didn't want to do long term. And uh, I started getting involved with high school organizations and mainly with the like, uh, school gear up club. Um, which prepares, you know, like students from like migrant working families, you know, to pursue college. And uh, I attended this dance camp that was at the University of Washington in uh, Seattle. And I got to go for like a full week and visit their campus and get a, a glimpse of like the college experience. And that was awesome because it really uh, inspired me to you know, push even further to get there. Um, I, my older brother went to like a rival school, which was on the other side of town. And my parents wanted me to go there, obviously, to be close with family, but I was always like the type of person that just wanted to do something that other people hadn't. Um, I guess I was just, uh, I saw things differently. I wanted to do things differently. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to go to the city. And I thought that was cool because I had seen like, you know, movies and about people living in the city life, like the step up movies. And I was like, you know, I want to be a dancer like in the city. I thought that was cool. And that's why I pursued college in the first place. But, uh, yeah. Well, tell me about this dance camp. Um, because I actually, and I, and that makes sense now. Now your TikToks and your IG Reels with the dancing, like you're putting two to two together now with your experience. But um, I also remember when I was in junior high, I was elected dance coordinator and let me tell you, I took my job seriously. I mean, I went to like Didums and Party City. I got all the decorations. I did the themes for my middle school. Um, and I just remember having like these slam books. I don't know if you remember the slam books when people were like, like, who's the best dancer and who's the cutest? Yeah. Who's the best hair? I don't know all that chingadera, right? And then, um, but when it came to like best dancer, I would always be like, who put it? Oh, okay, cool. I'm still, whoo. Still number one. I'm still number one. <laughs> so nice. More about dance cap because that is something that it's like you don't hear too many. You know, us Latinos, we know how to dance. But I just remember telling my parents like, I want to be a dancer. I want to be like, you know, I want to be like a backup dancer for like Beyonce and all this stuff. They looked at me hella crazy. Like, no, you ain't. You're going to college. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's awesome. Well, speaking of Beyonce. Um, at the end of the dance camp, we actually did the, the single ladies choreography. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, I was actually the leader for that. I led the choreography for that with a class of like 15 to 20 people. Yeah. And uh, it, it was funny because it, it was a fun time. You know, I got to explore like uh, the, what is it? What do you say? Like the feminine traits of myself. Mm -hmm. you know, I started rediscovering who I was. And I, the fact that I got to incorporate dancing was what just made it special um because when, when i had uh shown my parents the choreography of me doing that they're like what the hell <laughs> and because i don't know if you've seen the single ladies dance but um yeah i know I it hello <laughs> okay yeah see there you go for me it's just fun and uh the dance camp obviously it incorporated like uh, lots of different kinds of styles like modern and a little bit mm -hmm. of ballet and all that but yeah um it wasn't really uh, the the types of dancing that it was just the fact that I got to do dancing um, as like a college course. The idea was just awesome. And, you know, when I wanted to pursue that, I told my parents, like, this is something I want to do. 
like I want to join like a, a professional club or team or possibly try to make it into like entertainment. Um, but for them, uh, obviously growing up in a Mexican household, they wasn't really going to pay the bills. And so pursuing that passion wasn't realistic. I needed to pursue something that was serious and that wasn't going to pay the bills, pay my student loans and uh, allow me to live a life that you know was stable and secure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, definitely the entertainment business, you know, growing up in a traditional Latino household is definitely differently. Like I would love my kids to tell me like, I want to be an actress, I want to be a singer. And I'm like, let's do it. I'll be your manager, I'll do your, I'll do your marketing. Yeah. But you know, we have to, I understand that our parents looked at us like, what? Like, yeah. I feel like they told us that because they didn't want to disappoint us like if it didn't happen. Like I can understand yeah. that being realistic to be like, but are you really going to make it? You know, like I get that, but, um, but that's, I mean, that's interesting that, you know, we, we had similar um, aspirations of being a dancer. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, that, I mean, it's funny that you say that because when I think back about those times when my parents did tell me that, like, it did seem like they were just trying to, you know, protect me and not like, I don't know, experience some type of failure or something, you know? So I think they had it with good intentions, but I did, it did make the, it did open my eyes to see the reality of things. You know, I was like, well, man, there's thousands of dancers out there or actors or singers or whatever. Um, can I really make it? And so it did uh, allow me to think of like backup plans. Exactly. So, so now going back to the dance camp and having an opportunity to take it as a college course or wanting to take it as a college course, did um, any of your family members go to college or close friends? Like, was there anybody that you looked up to that you were able to be like, wow, like, even if it wasn't the same career or maybe the same college, but to be like, wow, I know somebody that like has a degree and, and, and in your eyes, he was successful or he was that, or he or she was that person um, that you looked up to. Uh, yes and no. So like my older brother, um, he did pursue college, you know, he's three years older than me and he started out with, uh, with a community college and eventually transferred. And, and so when I saw that, like I knew it was possible to get to college, but I was the only one in my family and extended family that wanted to pursue college in the city to move to Seattle. And uh, like that whole process of itself definitely felt very lonely and, you know, it was very uh, unknown. And so and obviously as first gens when we're doing that like on our own it can be like really intimidating and it, it's a funny story because when i when i did the whole application process um i didn't hear back from my financial aid because at the time i didn't know that i did it wrong they had requested these forms from like selective service so like the social security administration and uh i because of that because that part was incomplete i didn't get my full aid package and it was uh, my senior year it was like probably like close to high school graduation. I was like, what the heck? Why haven't I heard back? Like, this is probably not going to happen because um, the school needs to know if I'm going to commit to it or not. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in time where I was like, well, how am I going to afford it? And I told my parents, I was like, can you guys pay for it? And I was like, no, that's local. Like, how am I going to pay tens of thousands of dollars for that? You know? Yeah. And I started getting like almost depressed. I was like, what the hell? I worked my ass off to get here. I finally got accepted like the school of my dreams only to like end up going to, you know, a, a different school, you know, that one that wasn't my top choice. And I almost started getting accepted that idea, but I just started doing more research. And uh, I looked through like my big pile of mess, like all of the mail that we got at the house. And I found a letter saying like what exactly they needed for me. And, and I had to go to this uh, local office, the state office um, there in my hometown uh, to submit all this paperwork. 
And I remember in one day I ended up making like three or four trips, just giving them like the documents that they needed. And uh, it was really overwhelming because I had asked my parents and my older brother, but they didn't know what it all meant. And so I just had to go there saying like, I don't know what that is. Just be straight up honest with them. Like, can you please tell me what this is? And I was so frustrated and I almost was wanting to cry out of anger because I was like, nobody can understand me. You know, like I'm in this by myself. And uh, it was like the last time that I went to visit the office, um, that guy was like, man, you really want to go to college. You don't even know what you're doing. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't, but I just want to do this. Like, what do I need to like turn in, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up submitting everything. And weeks later, I got the, the financial aid package um, and saying that I qualified for these grants and that the, uh, wow. this tuition assistance. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is finally it. Like, my, I finally made it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I told my parents, um, for them, I felt like they felt a combination of emotions. First was probably like uh, sadness because they were like, crap, he's actually going to go to Seattle now, which is hours away from here. And two, they were feeling shocked because like, oh, he actually pulled it off. Mm-hmm. And then three, you know, they finally felt proud of me because I made it work, you know. And so it, w- it was definitely a, a roller coaster of emotions. And um, I ended up enrolling in the school like a month before it started and by then uh the housing application had already passed so i was homeless like a week before classes and luckily i was involved with like this camp program this college assistance program um where the supervisor found me and a couple of other students who were like in a similar situation like an apartment that we can all live in and uh, we ended up making it work i didn't get the the dormitory experience my first year uh, but we were able to make it work and we found an apartment together Mm-hmm. man okay so let's let me unpack a little bit right there yeah that was a lot huh you gave me like five chapters of a telenovela all right so these are all real life experiences as first generations that that we experience of latinos navigating higher education and you talked about just having having you know just having the decision to move away you know i feel that as much as I want to go to, to school, like in Florida and New York and all of these other colleges, I always felt like, oh, but that's going to be too far for my parents. So I stuck with, I don't want to say I was stuck. I chose community colleges and I chose colleges that were in my hometown of San Francisco. One, because I did want it to go there, but two, it was the reality of like, oh, but I'm going to be far away from my parents. And my parents were already giving me shit. Like who's going to support you in New York? Who's going to support you in, in Florida? Once you leave the house, you know, you can't come back type of BS. Like what? It's not like I'm running away with a boyfriend and pregnant. I'm like, go to college. Like, (laughs) you know, so I had that type of vibe. Then you're talking about filling up the FAFSA. Oh my God. I feel like you brought up like raw emotions there for me because I filled out the FAFSA so many times in so many different ways just to see like, I honestly didn't even know what I was doing. And I don't even remember them being that many workshops about it, like there is now. But I just remember them always asking for my parents' income statements and my dad being like, no, I don't trust them. Who are they? Why do they want my W-2s? Why do they want my taxes, right? So I was always like constantly fighting for that Um, and like ensuring that I was playing nice with like the financial aid people at the school because Back then there was no direct deposit. There was no like, you know, it was just, you had to come in and pick up your check, right? So I had to make sure like, give me my money, boo. Like, hi, how are you? How's it going? Today's great. It's financial day, uh, financial aid day. 
for you to give me my check. So I constantly felt like I had like a love and hate relationship. And then you're talking about going to school that was not on your top choice because of the experiences that you have with FAFSA and with um, moving and, you know, um, financially uh, preparing yourself with the tuition and now becoming homeless. So can you talk to me more about what school did you end up enrolling in? Um, and how did it, how did it feel? Like if you were just to, cause as you know, housing is something that I always talk about. I'm always passionate about housing and it's a real thing. A lot of people don't realize that even back in the day, there was housing insecurity among college students. We just never talked about it. We never knew we could talk about it. We just kind of felt like, oh, I guess this is part of the process of going to college, but it shouldn't have to be that way. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so for me, thankfully, um, I, I think it was just like a miracle the way it all happened, you know, thank God. But I ended up enrolling it at the University of Washington, uh, also known as UW, um, you know, going forward. And that was the one that, that was the school that was in the city in Seattle. And so thankfully I made it to, to UW and I was really proud of that. Um, the other options were, you know, to stay home at the community college um, called YVC. And, uh, you know, at the time I was just very ashamed of that. You know, I always had the, I, I always saw community college. I was like, nah, it's not worth them. Like people are going to talk bad about me. They're going to make fun of me. I tried everything to, you know, to get to my dream school because, you know, back then people just saw community college as like something that wasn't um, the, the next best thing. But little did they know was that, no, you're still getting a college education at a community college. You know, you're even saving money. You're fulfilling requirements. But I, at the time, I saw it as a bad thing. And so I was like so ashamed of myself. I thought I had failed. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, at the time I was like, you know, if, if I don't go to Seattle, then I'm going to go to the nearest city to spend all this money because I get to say that I go to a university. And I was kind of like, you know, experiencing like this inner dilemma just because of the whole college versus university thing. Um, you know, thinking about it now, I was like, man, well, it would have been nice to save like tens of thousands of dollars by staying at that community college. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but at the time I'm being so young and naive and I, I just wanted everything, you know? So yeah, that was, that was something else. In terms of housing, um, I did, I get, I got a one month of experience of, you know, being in the dorms because I did like an early fall start program. But when I actually enrolled like for the full fall quarter, um, I ended up staying at an apartment uh, which was, which was really cool, but also sucked at the same time. And the reason it sucked was because it was like a 30 minute bus ride uh, from the apartment to the city and with traffic every day um, at a time. Mm -hmm. And so there was that whole thing of like missing out on the full college experience, you know, being on campus whenever I wanted. Um, I knew that I had to leave campus at a certain time to get back home. Otherwise the buses were gonna, you know, they're all gonna be done for the day doing their routes. So. Yeah, I think the housing thing too, like I remember um, I didn't have an option to go through a dorm because one, I graduated from a continuation school. So I had to go to community college. And then even going through community college, um, it was a lot cheaper, of course, going into a four year compared to my other friends that were paying thousands of dollars for the same two year uh, program, um, you know, to then transfer to be a junior. Uh, but I also experienced housing insecurity too. I mean, I moved out when I was 20, I was living on my own. I had a car payment, you know, like I was always trying to find another job that paid me a little bit more, even if it was like a dollar more, $2 more, then it became $3 more. And then I just kept on like, 
I don't know, I just had this grind of like, I need to make more money because I need to pay for my housing, you know? And thankfully for me, my, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, was very supportive in my journey. You know, he paid the majority of the rent. He was like, you focus on school. I paid the utilities. I paid all my bills, right? But it was always this thing of like, no, but I need more and I deserve more and I don't want to live check by check, right? And so when I had an opportunity to work in housing and I started to learn like, oh, wow, you, if you work in housing, you get a discount. Like I can get 20% off the rent or if I work in housing and they have tuition reimbursement, they'll pay for some of my classes if it relates, right? If it's business related or customer service related or whatever. So I was able to get some of the college courses paid that were relatable to property management, which was the business classes, right? The customer service, the property management classes and so forth, right? So I saved at least like at least $5,000 right there um, from the classes, yeah. Um, but yeah, the housing thing, I feel like it's just such an important piece that we need to talk more about. So thank you for sharing that experience and being vulnerable and authentic. Cause I know sometimes, you know, some people may feel like, oh, I don't want to share an experience of me being homeless or me experiencing housing insecurity. And I really feel that people shouldn't define themselves when it comes to that particular experience. That's just unfortunately a journey that you had to experience while you were navigating higher education, you know? Um, and if there's a way that we can help some, somebody with this experience that we shared, you know, then, you know, that is something that I'm very grateful for. So thank you for sharing that, Fabio. Um, yeah, thank you. So what did you know about college back then? Did, do you feel like, um, so now that you're attend, you know, thinking back when you're an undergrad at UW, now that you gave me the new terminology, um, did it meet your expectation, like meet and exceed? Or was it like, man, you know, like, you know, cause I don't know if you had other friends and your brother, like, I don't know if he ended up going to the same school as you. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it did both. Like it definitely exceeded my expectations. Cause it was freaking awesome. Like the whole first year, the first quarter of my college experience was like all like literally just kicking it, partying <laughs> and hanging out with friends. Cause a lot of people too, from like the hometown, cause we were all just so happy and excited that we had made it to college mm -hmm. not remembering that no the work's barely starting you know we're gonna get a reality check when our first uh, quarter's grades come out exactly. <laughs> and so uh when that happened I was like damn I failed my first class the first quarter it was my math class I got a zero zero and uh at the time I was like man what am I gonna do uh, I guess I, I should get my my things in order um but in terms of like uh, everything else, I think it was a huge culture shock first because I hadn't seen a lot of other Latinos in Seattle. Uh, there was a handful of people from like similar hometowns, but they still had different experiences. And um, we still had very different backgrounds and upbringings, which didn't make it, it didn't allow me to feel like, oh, like this person just gets me, you know? I was, I still felt like on my own in a lot of different aspects. And so um, it was, like the best thing, but also the worst thing that could have happened to me. Um, my first year was definitely a transition year where I got like, you know, I grew accustomed to everything, the city life, you know, commuting from my apartment to campus and still trying to find my own group of friends. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like you had a mentor um, or professor or family friend either at the university level or outside of the university level that you can think of that you reached out to when you needed rather that's academic guidance or like you said, I know we're going to talk about mental health um, in a little bit, but someone that you're just like, man, this person gets me, you know, like 
as a man, as a Latino, as, you know, whatever, this person just feels me, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the academia space. Yeah, so I, I did. Um, thankfully, you know, when I was looking into clubs and organizations that I could join on campus, you know, I found a, a Latino-based fraternity that I felt like I could really relate to. Um, and, I, you know, through that organization, I found mentors that still guided us um, in the ways that they could, you know, in my college experience. And it's funny because going back just a little bit, um, right before I started school, um, with my whole housing situation not being established yet, I had even considered the, the uh, predominantly white Greek life organizations, you know, the houses on Greek Row, where it was mainly white folks. And I had done their rushing events and I had even signed to a house just to have housing. Mm -hmm. um, and it sucked because I, I knew I couldn't relate to everybody then and there. Um, and I was like, well, this is the only way I'm going to make it. You know, I need to sign with this house to have housing. But, um, you know, when I had orientation, I started meeting these other Latinos and, uh, and they tried to convince me to join their fraternity. And uh, I was like, well, what am I going to do with housing? You know, and that's when they started you know, connect connecting me with other people that could figure that out for me. And they're like, mm -hmm. nah, you don't want to be with them. They're like, come with us. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And so those people who uh, introduced me to everything, they were kind of like my first mentors starting out. And so I'm very thankful for that. Otherwise, I would have been in some other you know, fraternity, not really taking pride in my roots and my, my identity, my culture. Um, I would have just, you know, become whitewashed and <laughs> been all depressed or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I know in episode one, Benjamin talks about the Greek life. And that is a whole nother thing. Like, I remember going to SF State, having the same experience, like, okay, cool. Like, I made it here. I already transferred. And then I remember sororities, um, you know, when they have like that welcomes week, I think it's like the first week of school, right? When all the clubs are kind of out there. And I felt like I was just like, well, why should I join your sorority? Like, what makes you special? Like, I was asking, you know, asking all these questions. But my thing was, I was in a whole different mindset. I was like, I'll be damned. Somebody tells me I got to do some crazy ass shit that I don't agree with. I'm not bound down to nobody. We ain't doing that. Like, I was relating it to like, what is that movie? Um, it's like a fraternity movie. And it was made like in the 80s. And it was like these guys. And it was like, oh my God, I can't think of the name. I'm about to Google it. But anyways, I was just, I was comparing that to the movies, right? But again, these are predominantly white institutions, right? With the fraternity and sorority. And so I never saw an example of what that would look like for a Latina. I didn't see like a Latina sorority to show me different, but then it's almost like I didn't give it a chance because I felt that they were whitewashed or maybe they weren't going to fulfill my needs as someone, you know, um, attending, you know, SF State or so forth. So um, I wish I would have, to be honest with you, at least to give it a chance, because I see a lot of people online and even through my friends that joined a sorority and they're still friends with these people, like, like to death, like, oh, that's my girl. Like, that's my sorority sister. Like, there is no, you know, you have to do something like outrageous for me not to be your friend. Like we're homegirls for life. And so I feel like that's what I'm trying to create with Latinas with masters. I'm trying to create like my own sorority <laughs> without the Greek life aspect, you know, because I missed out a lot. I didn't attend clubs. I was working full time because I had to pay for housing, because I had to pay my car payment, because I had to pay for my tuition. Um, there was a lot that I missed out of, but I just, I also love hearing, um, you know, my friends such as yourself to be like, yeah, I tried it and I was in it and it was the best experience for me. Right. And so 
so far we're good. I haven't heard any negativity yet. You know, I'd be, <laughs> I challenge people to tell me if there's negativity. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it obviously, it, it just depends on the people. Um, for me, you know, I could have joined any fraternity really, but as long as I was able to connect with those people that were in that fraternity, um, everything would have been all right. Because, I mean, I see like other fraternities that I went to at UW that were like at different schools. And I'm like, nah, I couldn't be a part of that. Or maybe I could have been a part of it because I knew I would have been able to, uh, you know, connect with them. And so I guess it just depended on the school too and the people. Uh, but yeah. So the movie I'm talking about is Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, I, ha- I haven't seen that one yet. Oh my God. I feel like that movie was always on TV and I barely had cable. So I don't even know how this, how I even came across this, but um. Yeah, Revenge of the Nerds. That's something that I always, always watch. And I think there's like, there's like trilogies. Like there's a couple of them. Um, but that's how I picture fraternity sorority life. Like the extreme. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, sure, no, for sure. Is the extreme too, but you never know. I don't know. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a lot behind it. I mean, some of it's like the movies, but it just depends on the people in the school, you yeah. know, so. Yeah, for sure. So, um so can you remind us what did you ended up getting your bachelor's degree in so bachelor's degree was in communications so specifically social and cultural communications because there was a different couple different options you know one of them being like journalism and broadcasting the other one being like more uh focused on politics mm-hmm. uh, but i did the social and cultural because i just uh i related to those classes more i i found them more entertaining uh, like my Chicano studies and my Black cultural studies classes, those were really cool. I, I loved them. But when I started school, my original goal was to major in business, of course. You know, I knew I wanted to do that and uh, major in finance because at the time I thought um, being a financial analyst was my dream job, mainly because it sounded cool. Um, but when I when I applied to the school, I didn't get in because of my mainly my grades, I believe. Um, I had good essays and everything else was good. I had made it to like the third round of interviews apparently, but I, it was just the academics for me that they, they knew it was a deal breaker because they had like a strong uh, GPA requirement. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time I was like, damn, that sucks. Cause I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, it was probably like the most traumatic event in my undergrad career, not getting into my major because I felt like I was going to get behind. Um, a lot of my classmates did get into school and I was like, well, where does that put me? Um, but I did communication because I had a lot of credits in that already. And um, I knew the main goal was to just graduate from the university, whatever it was. And um, those were the classes that I found most enjoyable. So I figured why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about this. Um, I despise, hate. I don't know what word we're going to, we're going to describe the situation here, but the fact that universities define grades as a way to admit students, like, I guess in a way I understand like, okay, we need to have some type of criteria, but like, I say this time and time and again, nobody has ever asked me about my grades, like legit, like high school, undergrad, master's, even right now my doctor program, nobody is saying, Christina, what did you get in your master's program? Like, what's your GPA? Like, what? Nobody, not even a business, not even like what I do now in my work as a marketer right now with Latina, nobody. And I'm not asking people, you know? And so that to me is just mind boggling to me that there's this, you know, expectation of grades, you know, 
and we can go deep into really where that is, you know, if you want to really study critical race theory and why all these things happen. But um, yeah, that sucks. That to me, like, I hate hearing things like that. Like I didn't get into my school or I didn't get into my program because of my grades, because of my grades. Like, what does that mean? You get into your grades and then what? You can either not like the program or you can fail or you can have shitty grades according to academia and then get straight A's into the program. You know, like there is no guarantee pathway of what grades define students, you know, in a graduate program or in a program in general. Yeah, that, were, that was huge for me too. I, I almost felt bitter in a lot of different ways because um, the school that I went to, you know, they have all these these ratings, you know, they, they're like one of the, the top universities like in the Pacific Northwest and in the country. And they take pride in that to the point where they feel like they need to make their classes more challenging academic wise. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a lot of students, you know, we felt almost bitter towards students who went to other uh, local, like other colleges and universities in the area, because, you know, for them, we saw that they didn't put in as much effort. They were partying all the time, but they were getting straight A's and becoming like engineers and doctors and graduate students. And here we were giving it everything they got, um, everything we had, and we couldn't even get into our own majors, you know? And so like, this is all bogus, you know, why focus on grades this much? And um, it was uh, a time where we were just trying to find ourselves and decide if that was what we really wanted. Um, for me, you know, I, I acknowledge that maybe I should have just studied more, you know, maybe I should have put in more work my first year instead of being partying all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was a combination of experiences, but, you know, thankfully things have started changing and, you know, for like certain scholarship applications, you know, they do holistic reviews um, instead of just focusing on academics. And I think they do do their undergrad application more like that now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because I'm seeing that the things are changing. You know, back in the day, it was mainly focused on grades, and I totally feel you 100% that that's not how it should be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is true. I mean, I, I have seen some scholarships where they just want to know, like, they're giving it to the right person that's going to take college seriously, right? You're just not there winging it or passing through, but I honestly feel like that still doesn't define someone, especially if there's a language barrier, especially if you're first generation. I mean, there's a lot of things that happens as we noticed, right? Or as we've known firsthand, what happens, you know, navigating higher education, you know? And so, um, yeah, I just, that's something that I've just always, I would definitely would like to see more change when it comes to that, you know, and something that I speak um, very passionately about when I speak to admission counselors that want to promote on Latinos with masters, like, okay, well, what else other than grades is, you know, are you guys going to look into, you know? And so I definitely look at that holistic piece of, you know, more about what they've done for the community, you know, what else, other things that define them other than grades, I guess at the end of the day is what I'm looking for. Um, So now that you have your bachelor's degree in communications with the emphasis in social and cultural, what was your expectation of the job that you're going to have after college? So for me, I guess I still was undecided. I was still trying to figure it out. But um, if anything, I was still stubborn and stuck on the idea of pursuing a career in business and finance. Um, you know, one of the things they, tell, they teach you in business is like the power of networking, right? And obviously that's like the number one thing. It's like who you knew, not what you know. And I'm very thankful that I was able to secure an internship my sophomore year working in accounting. And it was very, um, very junior level stuff. And you know, obviously being that intern that, you know, stacks and organizes paperwork or 
stapling these invoices together, you know. Mm -hmm. But that opportunity got my foot in the door, you know, where I could, you know, really present myself and my work ethic to, you know, get more opportunities. And thankfully, they, they saw, like, value in having that extra hand, and I started working part-time throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And it, I ended up working there until, like, my almost towards the end of my senior year of college where I could say I had like at least a four year, year and a half of you know, working in an actual job in accounting. And um, that's all I needed really to uh, get into the workforce, thankfully. And, um, you know, when I graduated, I found this recruiting agency that found me a job um, for this software company as like a temporary accounting contractor. Um, I was able to fake it till I make it, you could say, you know, but in the, in the real world, you know, where they really evaluate your skills and your value that you bring to the company, you can't really, you know, you can't bullshit that part, <laughs> excuse my language, but, um, you know, working in that company, uh, it wasn't until the second week where they decided to, you know, just end my contract and say, today was your last day, uh, just after the first two weeks. And I was like, what? That quick, you know? Yeah. And uh, it reminded me of like when I got rejected from my major because I was like, man, am I really worthy or capable of doing this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I could only make my resume so pretty as I could. Um, mm -hmm. But those two weeks of experience, I saw it as another opportunity. I was like, now nah, I worked here for two full weeks and I got two good weeks worth of experience. And I, I applied to more jobs. And uh, I eventually found a full-time job that decided to take a chance on me in accounting and it was for a startup. And ever since then, I felt like that really uh, set up my career for success. I was able to make the connection, the connections in that company and just work my way up the, the ladder, you know. Um, of course, I worked for different jobs since then and different roles, but it was things like networking and just uh, giving my, my best foot forward that allowed me to pursue my career. And I, I take a lot of pride in that because not a lot of... Um, accountants or financial analysts got to where they're at with a communications degree you know it's very unheard of you need to usually have the degree and that's something that I almost disagree with because I think anybody if they have a certain set of skills they should be qualified to pursue any any occupation or any career you know it sucks that they have all these barriers and things that you have to have I understand it's required for a role but um, I wish they could take more of a holistic approach to it you know like with school and all that Man, you said something important. I wish, to be honest with you, when I graduated from college that I hired a recruiter. And I think that is so important. That's so valuable that you mentioned that because we should have them work for us. Like I have a degree, you get paid based on the positions you fill. So find me a job, <laughs> you know? And I just remembered I paid a company to redo my resume um, after I graduated college. Um, in Latino studies and I couldn't get a job and but I was still working in housing but the jobs that they were get that they were trying to get me for or they were, that they're trying to match me with I should say were the nonprofit jobs and I'm like they pay what I'm not leaving my high-paying job to go to nonprofit like yeah not my degree but not that much and so um and like you said everything happens for a reason because then all these doors started opening up for me in housing and I was here trying so hard in nonprofit and it was almost like you don't have that much experience. You don't have that much experience. And I'm like, but I have a degree. Like I have a degree. I have transferable skills. I should be able to apply for any type of job. And so what you said uh, was so powerful that if you have the degree and if you have the skills, you should have the opportunity to apply for any job, you know? And I'm hoping that this pandemic has made employers realize the value of employees and 
how there's some people that that are choosing not to work because of the way that employers have done business as usual, right? Which is in the way they take care of their employees or in the, the benefits that they offer or the pay or the work-life balance. I mean, I can go on and on, right? I definitely feel like I am constantly reevaluating where I wanna be, where I wanna reinvest my energy to, where am I investing my dollars, whether if I go to Target or Starbucks or Pete's, like, you know, all that stuff too. Like as consumers, I feel like we also have a choice, you know, as to where we wanna go to. So I appreciate that you said that because um, I think that sometimes a lot of people feel like, oh, I don't have a degree, I'm not skilled for this position, but I know a lot of hardworking individuals who do not have a degree and are very skillful and are very, much capable of the job because of the work ethics, because of the skills that they offer. Um, instead of, you know, employers just looking at degrees and then maybe not it being a right fit, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think one of the cool things that came from this pandemic, you could say, I don't know if people realize it or not, is that the power has really shifted from the employer to the employee. Correct. You know, a lot of people are, um, a lot of people are laid off because of COVID and in, in return, you know, a lot of them are getting stimulus packages, you could say, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of things has you know, shut down and that's made it hard for employers to find and retain talent um, because, you know, people are prioritizing their families, their physical and mental health. Um, they're really taking the pays into consideration. And, um, you know, back then a lot of employers felt like they had that power where they would just, you know, choose, um, candidates that had the shiny degree from that you know that well-respected college and now they're trying to make ends meet because you know they need to survive to keep running their business mm-hmm. they're really taking into consideration everything more than just the degree people who actually want to work for that company um the other skills and talents that they can provide so uh, if anything i think i i see that as kind of like a good thing and i definitely use that to my advantage too when it came to you know finding a job during covid mm-hmm. so before we get into what you're doing now during COVID, let's talk about transitioning from undergrad into your master's now, because as you know, this podcast, you know, um, I definitely highlight um, the first season was highlighting Latinas who have navigated higher education, um, who have pursued a master's degree and have a master's degree, right? And how that has changed and rather they're still doing what they were intended to do or they shifted. Um, But Again, season two, I'm focusing on the guys. I'm focusing on the Latinos, right? There's Latinos out there, of course, who have bachelor's degrees as well. So talk to us about your master's journey. Talk to us about like, what made you decide to go back for a master's? You know, did you talk to your parents? Did you talk to your wife? Like, just because, you know, I feel that sometimes I, I actually had a little situation where, you know, me and my husband didn't meet eye to eye in the beginning because he was already like, you already have a master's, like, more student debt like I had to consider that as well you know um being in a partnership but then you know I have this appetite for learning I was like I have to do something more than what I'm doing now I feel like I have a purpose like I have to do something it's like it was something in me that I couldn't really explain and I was just constantly defending right and then one day he was just like you know what you're right I shouldn't have to tell you that you shouldn't go to school which that's not what he was telling me But he was just saying, like, you are already valuable. You already bring a lot to the table. You know, like, what is another degree going to do for you, right? 
So we were just like in a different mindset. But at the end of the day, I, I definitely get got support from him. And I felt a lot better, of course, pursuing my doctor degree and then getting accepted and, and navigating this journey now because I have the support system, right? I have the village that's helping me with taking care of my kids while I'm online and going to school now that we're in person and stuff. So, but talk to me from like a man's point of view, talk to me about like your point of view of how um, you decided to go back to school. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, being, uh, I guess a Mexican male, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in things like of my own personal accomplishments and I can, you know, I can admit that I, I'm stubborn in a lot of ways because of that, you know, with, with my undergrad, for example, I graduated and that was probably like my biggest accomplishment. And I was like, you know, you know what? I don't want to do that again. It was traumatizing and I don't want to put myself in that again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided that um, when I got my first job, I was like, nah, this job is good. They're providing me a lot of good uh, professional development opportunities. This is all I need. But thankfully, you know, with my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she had always constantly tried pushing me like to you know pursue another higher education because we need that representation from our uh, people of our background right and um at the time i was like no i don't i don't need that you know um you know fast forward like four or five years um i was working for this law firm and i actually ended up getting laid off right before christmas and then a couple months later in March was when the whole world shut down basically because of the pandemic. And I was like, damn, you know, I should have listened. Um, I, here I am, this guy with his communications degree trying to get back into the workforce. So I was like, it's going to be harder now because everybody's trying to find a job. And uh, that's when I started considering uh, graduate school again. I had actually decided to apply to a master's uh, program right before we left the city um, but by the time of my, I heard of my acceptance, my wife and I had already moved across the state. And so that wasn't really an option. But because of the fact that I got laid off and, you know, trying to find a job during COVID was when it started sparking the idea of getting an MBA. And uh, I'm glad that it, I guess it happened at that time because um, everything was moving remote. Um, they actually opened up the MBA program uh, to an online platform, um, which opened up the opportunity for me to go back. And um, I was lucky too, because they actually ended up um, waiving like the official transcript requirement. They actually ended up uh, making the GMAT entrance exam optional. The, uh, the application fee to apply was actually waived as well. And so I was like, great, I just got to apply, just, uh, you know, submit my essays and you know, wait to hear if I get in or not. And uh, you know, I, I ended up getting accepted and it worked out from there. So the master's program that you're in now, the school is not the same as your undergrad. It's a different school? Yeah, it's a different school. So okay. for my undergrad, I went to the University of Washington, and now I attend Seattle University. Um, they're, they're very close, but they're, they're different institutions. Mm-hmm. So what do you, so, so far you are now entering your second year into your MBA program. So is there anything that you can tell us that that you've experienced through the pandemic, either through school or work or through the online community that you have with the Benya Consulting, which we will talk about next. Um, is there anything that business school doesn't tell you? Because I feel like I have like a million now that I can pinpoint it, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for me, like, I guess there's a lot of things that they do tell me and don't tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thankful that I have a, uh, 
and the online platform where classes are still like small in size mm-hmm. versus like the huge university that I went to from Montreal because I felt like I could you know reach out to classmates or professors more uh, comfortably and easier uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot in our program which really uh, emphasizes a lot is like the power of leadership within companies and um, that's that's something that I was never really exposed to like in my undergrad and it, it also sparked the idea of starting you know Benya uh, Consulting like the consulting firm um, but it, it just depends on like what people are actually looking for like when pursuing a higher education or pursuing an MBA a lot of people especially in business they don't see the the value of getting an MBA because a lot of people think that hey, you don't need that you know people drop out of college and they'll still uh, found their own companies but for me being a Mexican Latino I still wanted to pursue that higher education aspect to be able to have that title and that degree um, to be able to say that oh yeah my my family will have someone who has a master's degree you know I saw there more power to that and so mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered your question <laughs> yeah no it did for sure the power of leadership within companies I think that is so important and I read somewhere that like I go to a lot of conferences and I feel like CEOs are up there and, and they have this, I'm the CEO face. Right. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, great. But like, I don't care so much about you being the CEO and you having the title CEO. Like I care more about like how you engage with your employees and how they can get up to, you know, to be the CEO. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm always looking at it through like a different lens and so forth, you know, Um, but the other thing that I like what you said is a lot of people doesn't see the value of getting an MBA, right? Getting a business degree. And absolutely, listen, I'm the first one to tell you that you don't have to be successful. You don't have to have a degree to be successful. Again, I know a lot of people that have their own business and stuff like that. But when I always hear like, oh, look at Elon Musk, look at, um, you know, Bill Gates, look at Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. But guess who they're hiring to run their company? People with degrees, boo. You think they're trust, ain't. Me and Fabio can't walk up there without a degree and be like, what's up? Can you give us a job? Because we heard that you don't got a degree. No, there are hiring people with degrees to be in those positions. And unfortunately, that's the reality. And that is the field we're playing. You know, we're up against, you know, um, people that don't look like us with degrees. And so, you know, again, my parents didn't go to college, you know, um, and education in Nicaragua was a privilege. You know, you have to have people that went to college or went even went to just K through 12 were people who had money, you know? Um, Nicaragua was like the second poorest country in the Western, Western hemisphere, you know? And then granted, there's still like a civil war going on over there, right? Because basic rights, basic needs, you know, with food, with housing, with money, with education, with reading. And so, I see education as like, damn, this is, I'm, I'm living the dream my parents wanted, you know, and they sacrificed so much so we can have, so I can have the opportunities. My siblings can have the opportunities, right? Um, but I think that's just so powerful what you said, the power of leadership within the companies. And I think that me and you can both attest that we've seen good leadership and we see bad leadership. And I feel like when I see bad leadership, even though in the moment it fucking sucks, is it really showed me how I, how, how I was not going to be when I became a manager, you know? I was like, yep. anything like it motivated me so much more 
to be like, you know what, when I become property manager, or when I become a manager, I'm not going to be a dick like you. Like I honestly used to say that in my head, like all the times I really had prick managers. And then I realized, oh, that was a microaggression. You know, that way that they were treating me because I was Latina, because I was a woman, um, because I spoke up, you know, when things were, you know, weren't fair. And I was always like, you know, defending the maintenance guy and defending someone else or defending the resident with the rental increase and so forth, right? Um, so I then realized that I have a lot of trauma embedded in my past experiences um, in predominantly white spaces. Like I honestly just got into a conclusion of that when I went to like a mini therapy, therapy session with um, my professor when I was talking my dissertation. But I know, so let's transition because the reason why I brought this up was because let's transition as to, um, you know, I know you had mentioned that you started Benya Consulting. So tell me about that. And then tell me, um, I know that a lot on your page, you talk a lot about mental health, you know? Um, and I think that's very important because like you said earlier, soy Mexicano, I'm stubborn. There's a lot of machismo and rightfully so, right? That is our culture. That is the culture that we grew up in. But you are here also changing that to make it in a positive light to say like, hey, this is the way I grew up. And yes, these are the things that shape me, but I'm also learning that we can also change. So uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, so, you know, ever since I started the page, um, the company, it's really taken a lot of turns and it's been an adventure, I guess you could say. Cause when I first started like the, the social media aspect to it, like literally on January 1st of this year, um, I was just going to, you know, start building my brand for like my management consulting business. And the first few uh, posts that I shared were literally just about consulting strategy and operations. And you know, after the first few, I, I almost found it boring because I was like, I don't know if I could continue doing this and I got to find more stuff. It, it was more uh, work to find uh, research and share stuff about business. And obviously when you, hit Instagram on your phone, the first thing that you want to do is escape reality and find something entertaining or engaging, right? Something funny, because that's what we use social media for. And so it was when I first talked about a personal, about a personal experience in college, I was talking about it with my wife. And we were just, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, really relating to one another as first gens, the stuff that we experienced. And I remember I called out these organizations for what they were doing because it excluded a lot of first gens. And uh, I knew then and there, like, I was like, okay, here we might have something else because that first post ended up getting a lot of engagement. A lot of people were able to relate to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the start to like our storytelling series, which we call like first gen cuentos. Uh, it was the first cuento. And I was like, okay, eventually I know that I'm going to run out of experiences to share with this platform. And so I wanted it to, oh, I wanted to open it up to other first gents to talk about their experiences. So that's when we started like, you know, taking the business page in that direction with our social media, with our social media. And, uh, and yeah, ever since then, I've been talking a lot about personal experiences, you know, growing up as a first gen in a Mexican household. Um, you know, everything, since everything is like first gen related, I talk about breaking you know, generational cycles and, you know, personally, I talk about, you know, prioritizing mental health, especially growing up in a, in a machismo uh, environment, you know, being in a Mexican household, that's really influenced uh, my perspective and experiences in a lot of things in my life. And so that's why I do talk a lot about that, because um, since the, the page is growing, thankfully, 
I want to use my voice um, to hopefully, you know, spark that conversation with someone else to start the, the healing process, you could say, because, you know, I'm not perfect. I still do a lot of things that you would consider machista, um, but I'm learning, you know, and I think as long as you're aware of that and trying to make a, uh, you know, a change, then I think we'll, we'll only grow and it'll make us be better people it'll you know aid our relationships with our family with our partners with our future children to stop those cycles to stop the trauma you know to really pursue the american dream as it should be you know with the support and the with the values and the morals and so it's it's really been an awesome adventure since then i definitely enjoy your page because even the mental health stuff i mean i can definitely call out some people and be like huh I wonder if they're watching Fabio because they also need to see this messaging, right? And I'll just send little, <laughs> I will forward your stuff, you know, but, um, and then I'll get the, oh, that's dope. Or like, wow, like he gets me, you know? And so that's the power of social media, the power of networking, like you said, and you definitely are showing the power of leadership within your company, within your organization, your community, um, online community, on Instagram, you as a graduate student, you as a husband, you as a son, a cousin, a primo, and now my friend, you know, I, I know we call each other hermanos, like, because I feel like we're family, you know, like I, I'm not Mexican, but I did grew up with um, families who are Mexican, and I definitely saw a lot of that, you know, and so my kids are half Mexican, you know, so I'm also kind of like, I'm raising a half Mexican son, you know, and so I'm also need to be aware of you know, of the, the culture that's within, you know, the Mexican culture as well. So I'm also learning as well, but um, I feel like we unpacked a lot. You definitely gave us your authenticity. You gave us everything from, you know, high school, undergrad, graduate school, Peña Consulting. Um, I appreciate you uh, sharing your platform um, or being on my platform to share your platform together with networking. But before we close off, um, I definitely wanna give you the opportunity um, to either share some advice of someone who is interested in to graduate school and then um, where um, the listeners can follow um, Fabio Peña and Peña Consulting. Yeah, so for my advice for people who are considering graduate school is, uh, you know, just really decide if it's something that you want to do um, because there's like hundreds of different programs and schools that offer different things. Um, and so I would say to, you know, obviously do your research on which one you think would be a good fit for you, but to remind yourself that, you know, if and when you do start to know that you're capable because, you know, it, it, obviously a lot of schools, they want to help out their students in whatever way they can. And um, a lot of times as first gen, we already start doubting ourselves before we even begin the process. And so I would just say as a reminder to just give it yourself a chance uh, to believe that you can and know that even though failures might happen along the way, you're going to become um, someone that has experience and the wisdom to know, you know, what came with that. So uh, you're only going to level up from there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, to answer the second part, um, yeah, people can find our social media pages um, on Instagram. It's Pena Consulting. On Facebook, it's Pena Co. We're also on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I try my best to respond to a lot of messages. I want to offer that flexibility for folks because I know what it's like to be ghosted. I know what it's like to just be ignored and I want it to be a welcoming and safe space. So um, I'm really just someone who's just trying to help someone else out. Absolutely, Fabio. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing your 
uh, graduate journey with us. Um, like I said, this is the What's Up with Latinos with Masters um, series. And I was grateful to have uh, Benjamin and now Fabio um, on the Latinos with Masters podcast. So um, when you get an opportunity, please uh, follow Peña Consulting on all the social media platforms as well as his website. Um, is the website the same, Fabio? Yeah, so the website, thanks for bringing that up. The website is actually just www.penyanco.com. Okay. So yeah, just spell that P-E-N-A-N-C-O.com. Uh, okay, cool, thanks. Um, social media, website, um, hit him up. He'll, he talks back, he'll say hello, he'll hit you up. Um, and thank you everybody for listening to the Latinas with Masters podcast. I am your host, Christina Rodriguez, and I hope to talk to you soon. All right, folks, take care. Bye.